Hello, and welcome to a very pivotal episode of the Celtics Lab podcast, where we will first recap the 2021 season and the Danny Ainge era before looking ahead to what is sure to be an intriguing future for the Celtics. I'm Cameron Tepitabai, joined, as always, by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. We're lucky enough to have two guests on the pod today. So first, let's offer a warm Celtics Lab welcome to Mike Scotto of HoopsHype.com. Mike, how are you? Hey, fellas. Pleasure to be on with you. How are you all? It's hot. It's a hot day in the Boston area. It's certainly true. And it's a, it's a good day to talk about basketball, but when is it not? So, Mike, you're here to break down the year that was and really everything under the Danny Ainge sun. Uh, a lot of ink has been spilled, but let's spill a little bit more. So we'll, we will dive into that. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of ask a bunch of questions and people can answer them in five seconds or five minutes, really, whatever uh, suits your fancy. But first, because there is basketball being played outside of Boston, let's just do a quick wrap around it and talk about the postseason because it admittedly has been pretty good. And Alex, you asked a question off to air, which I think is as good a place to start. You want to ask it? Uh, which is the question that you're referring to? Sorry, we asked a bunch of those. <laughs> Alex, off air, you asked, who are you pulling for in the postseason? Now? Oh, yeah, right. That's correct. So who are we bandwagoning? Mike, you get first crack of the apple. Who are you, who are you rooting for these days? You know, I think right now uh, the Clippers kind of came back and had a nice resurgent run against Dallas. Um, I think uh, – but when you say, like, who am I rooting for? That's kind of a – it's always a tough question, but I would – I'd like to see, in a way, Chris Paul and the Suns advance. I always thought Chris Paul was a winner. Um, And I think that he got – you know, he never made it to, like, a finals. And I think people kind of underestimated him a little bit and and wondered, like, why he couldn't take that next step. But um, terrific player. You know, look what he did in Oklahoma City when people thought they were going to be a lottery team. He helped completely transform uh, the Suns. And you see when he's healthy the difference he's making and – uh, the impact he's had on Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and, and, and winning. Um, so, you know, them and I think, you know, in the East, uh, you know, Brooklyn, I just think they're the team to beat. And with them mm-hmm. getting hurt, um, I know Harden's hurt too, but the Nets have been doing this all year. I mean, they've had a guy right. out of the lineup the whole time and they've persevered. So I just think that they're best built uh, to get to the finals and that could be the matchup ultimately. Yeah, I, I don't think you're incorrect about that at all. And I like to root for greatness. And Kevin Durant has categorically been great this postseason. But there's just something about the Nets that I'm not – I can't fully invest in. I really wanted to root for the Bucs. I thought that was a great, endearing storyline for the league, for Giannis, for small markets. But I don't know. I guess I'm becoming a Trey Young believer. Yeah, I was just going to jump on the Trey Young hype bandwagon. This guy is becoming one of the NBA's great um, heels before our eyes. And I think there's a lot of fan bases that are going to be very mad at Trey Young for many years to come. And uh, I think that's a cool thing for the NBA. The NBA needs more wrestling heel type players. So I'm glad to see Trey stepping up and filling that role. The other team that I think deserves some mention, even though they did lose last night, uh, is the Denver Nuggets, who have fought so hard just to get out of the first round, uh, despite the Jamal Murray injury. And uh, folks, if you don't think Nikola Jokic is a deserving MVP at this point, I don't know what to tell you. That guy just keeps on putting up monster performances. Uh, well, you know, I really wanted the Jazz to have their year, but they're not off to a particularly great start with news that uh, Mike Conley is not going to be participating in game one 
uh, versus the Clippers. So I think I'm going to have to throw my, I don't know, I guess you could say secondary rooting interest behind the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. I mean, Chris Paul is speaking of heels. Chris Paul has played the admirable villain role for a long, long time. And I really like it. Uh, But this is a Celtics podcast. So let's get back to talking about the Celtics. And Mike, again, we brought you on to look back at the Danny Ainge era and the 2021 season. So I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. Mike, I will swing it to you first. You can answer with a one word. You can answer with a thousand words, whatever you feel like, because some of these will be pleasant memories to revisit, I'm sure. Other things, maybe not so much. Uh, so let's kick it off. Let's recap the Danny Ainge era. And Mike, I'll start with you. What was the best moment uh, as a fan, as someone coming covering the league, as a someone who likes the sport, what was the best moment of the Danny Ainge era? I mean, for me, without question, it was when they made the blockbuster trades to get Garnett and uh, Ray Allen to pair with Paul Pierce and form the big three. I think uh, that really was one of the more transformative uh, big threes that we've seen and the fact that yeah. they were able to win right away. Um, it, it just, it changed the entire course of the franchise. Now you can say that, you know, he did make a uh, other couple of good trades, like, you know, getting Kyrie and at the time and, and getting Tatum. Um, but I, I just felt like that was ultimately the best one because ultimately it resulted in the title and another trip to the finals. And that's what matters most ultimately. Well said, uh, Alex. You know, I think if you're talking about the trade that gave the Celtics the most, obviously, KG and Ray has to be the top of the list. And assembling that team kind of seemingly out of nowhere and engineering the greatest single season turnaround in the history of the league certainly deserves its plaudits. And for that trade alone, Danny Ainge will be regarded as a great GM for the rest of his existence. Um but for me, the, the moment that really stood out, uh, that just really thrilled me as a Celtics fan and made me get invested in the team on a more serious level was the Isaiah Thomas trade and the subsequent success. Mm-hmm. IT was just such a lovable hero for Boston, and he really restarted uh, the Celtics franchise in the kind of wilderness of the post-KG and Pierce trades to Brooklyn, you know, to see... Uh, a kind of afterthought player come in and become a genuine MVP candidate uh, under Ainge and Brad Stevens' watch was was really something. For me, actually, it's the Nets trade itself and not because of the haul, but because of the vision. If we're speaking specifically about Danny Ainge and judging him as a general manager, mm-hmm. he he had the vision to, to break up that title court, to not be overly sentimental, to not hang on to players for too long, and to be aggressive, not caring about our feelings, and doing really what was the best thing for the franchise at the time, which would lead me to some criticisms I have. I know you're very well familiar with. I will, I will table for the moment. <laughs> uh, and I'll just quickly say it has nothing to do with being a general manager, but the correct answer that we were looking for was when Eddie House broke the three-point record and then subbed himself out of the game. That was the best moment of the Danny Ainge era, but thank you for playing anyways. Uh, Mike, back to you. What was the worst moment of the Danny Ainge era? Uh, Danny Ainge, the GM, maybe not the most, the worst basketball moment. Uh, you know, I think 
you know, one thing about Danny and the Celtics was they always got linked to a bunch of stars. And, and he, he did his share of getting guys like obviously Kyrie, you know, they signed Hayward in free agency as well after uh, the Pearson. I mean, excuse me, the Garnet and Allen trades. Um, I just think that that uh, kind of rubbed people a little bit the wrong way. I, I, and I had a story recently on it on Hoopsite um, about, you know, what's next for the Celtics and executives weighing in. And when I spoke to them, um, that was one of the things they brought up is that, uh, you know, either he, he missed out a little bit with some of those draft picks he had and, and the assets to really – uh, make it to the finals and and build around those guys to take that next step and push all the chips in. Um, but also a, a criticism of him from some execs around the league was just that uh, the way that they would always get linked to a certain player and they almost did this, it, it rubbed people the wrong way. And, you know, when the Isaiah Thomas trade went down, um, you know, obviously he wasn't a hundred percent. So I think people were leery of trading with Danny. Danny was pretty good at making trades. And I think that um, after a while, people just got nervous in a, in a way of, of dealing with him because he was pretty much coming out on top in a lot of those deals. Um, you know, I know some may say, well, he lost Kyrie, he lost Horford and, and Hayward in free agency, but um, you know, Kyrie wanted to come home. I, I don't know how much you can fault Ainge on that. I mean, it didn't, I don't know if necessarily it worked out as well as both sides thought. Um, and, you know, Hayward got a huge contract that you can't pass up that money. I thought overall he did a good job, but those were some of the uh, criticisms either from executives around the league mixed in with uh, a little bit of uh, my own thoughts, just uh, as far as his quote unquote worst moments, even though I don't think uh, there were that many. Yeah. I, I am inclined to agree, but let's see what Alex and uh, Justin think. Alex. Yeah, there's one moment that kind of stood out to me, and it's tough to say that it's the worst moment of Ainge's tenure, but it was a pretty dramatic moment in terms of uh, ultimately changing the future of what the Celtics were going to be. And that was when Ray Allen walked in free agency. Uh, you know, Ray was kind of the third guy behind Garnett and Pierce for a lot of that time. And uh, with Rondo, a guy that he apparently did not like all that much, if reports are to be believed, emerging as another star. Uh, I think to see Ray walk to the arch rival, the team that, um, you know, every Boston Celtics fan hated with just such a burning passion in the Miami Heat, uh, was that that was tough because it signaled both the kind of departure of Ray to a rival in and of itself being bad and also just the end of the big three era that was to come in the next couple of years. Obviously, you know, Garnett and Pierce and Rondo tried their best and had a decent run after that for a little bit, but to lose Ray particularly to Miami and, uh, and in addition, you know, for by all accounts, not a significant salary bump or anything like that. Uh, that that was a tough pill to swallow, for sure. For me, it's going to be pretty on brand. It's losing Gordon Hayward in free agency. I understand losing Irving. I would have made the same bet myself. I, I understand losing Al. I might have made that bet. I was pretty convinced we were going to be able to bring him back on a team-friendly deal before Philly blew that up. However, Hayward, Hayward, the writing was on the wall. There were really good arguments for running it back and trying to get that title. 
but I didn't feel that that team was really going to compete for a title, even considering all the, the asterisky things that were going on in the Orlando bubble. Mm-hmm. And there were some very good reasons not to, to linger on hanging on to him. This is why I actually was so supportive of the, the Nets trade was because this forward thinking mentality seems to have just disappeared. And it left us in a situation where the Celtics had to scramble on the free agency market by the time they were able to do something once it became clear that he was not coming back. And that really, in a lot of ways, set a lot of the negative aspects of what Boston now has to deal with in motion. Yeah, and I think that's a, a really great point is that perhaps a theme of the Danny Ainge era is being proactive. I think as a fan, I would pick my worst moment was the Kendrick Perkins trade uh, because it tore up a friendship between Rondo and Perkins. It tore up Ubuntu as a culture, but it's typical Danny Ainge getting ahead of the curve. And I guess, Justin, kind of your point being that the magic ran out or the ethos ran out and at the tail end of this era, we didn't really see that in practice. Uh, But with that thinking in mind, this, this proactive approach, Mike, let me ask you this. Was this the right time? Was this the right move? Um, I think for Danny, he, he was at a point where he had done as much as you can. I, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to move really Kemba Walker, for example. I think right. if you were going to do that, you know, it's almost like you have to get like a Chris Stapps Porzingis back, a guy similar value who and – I, and the viewers can't uh, see your reaction, but I could. But, like, for example, like that, that is something that, you know, has been floated around. You know, that, that's another thing when – you're talking to people around the league and, you know, people like to float things out there a lot and those type of things. But, um, you know, like they they had always liked Porzingis from, from years ago, but uh, that said, I think for Danny, it, he felt it was time. And I understood in terms of his health and, and wanting to take a step back. I thought, I thought he did, like I said, a pretty great job overall. I think he could have continued. I don't think like his, mind slipped I don't think he did the job that bad I think you know they took a step back they just maybe I would have liked to see Danny push a little bit more of those chips in in the center of the table as far as Brad Stevens goes um you know I think some people would have liked to seen the Celtics maybe try to go after more of a proven guy and throw a, a just a bag at uh Sam Presti or maybe try to acquire him or someone that's done it before and you're looking at, and what's interesting about that uh, is Sam has obviously had experience with guys like uh, Durant, Harden, Westbrook when they were younger. And you've got two stars, two all-star players in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown that you're trying to build the organization around. And while he had some luxury tax implications that he had to worry about in Oklahoma City that affected, you know, James Harden's trade and with ownership and things like that at the time. I don't think you would have those problems in Boston. So I'd kind of be intrigued to see what he would do with an open war chest and uh, less financial concerns. You know, it's almost like, you know, being like the George Steinbrenner with the Yankees uh, back in the day. But um, as far as what I think Brad will be as an executive, I'm, I'm genuinely as curious as probably you three are, because I always thought Brad was excellent, you know, out of timeouts. Uh, I think that he's going to be great when it comes to dealing with 
and uh, a coaching staff because obviously he's been in the sure. I, I think that's going to be his best asset. Um, and I do think he'll take care of his former assistants, whether it's they either remain on staff in some role or he tries to help them get jobs elsewhere to better their career and maybe take a step up on a bench. Um, I just think as an executive, I don't know if he's going to have – I'm curious if he has the cutthroat mentality to move a guy. Like he values mm-hmm. a guy like Kemba Walker. You know, he's not healthy all the time for Boston. He hasn't been, but he loves what he brings, the intangibles. And it's like that is going to be the cutthroat distinction that is totally different from a front office perspective when you look at long-term versus a coach that's trying to win on a day-to-day basis. So balancing those two is going to be interesting. Um, and I really don't know what he can do now because, like I said, Kemba is got a tough contract to move. And you're not trying to necessarily move Tatum or Brown. I don't, I wouldn't. Maybe right. I know some people would say you could move Brown and really get a boatload of stuff back, but I just don't think that that's like a lateral or backwards move to me. He's still young. Sure. So you're going to have to hit on the mid-level exception and, and some of those type of assets that way. They, they don't, they're younger pieces that they have the, the Peyton Pritchards of the world Um uh, you know, Neesmith, they're okay. They're they're okay role players, but they're not moving the needle in a trade either. So I, I just think they're in this like middle ground uh, position ultimately. And, you know, they got to figure out what they're doing with Evan Fournier as well. Yeah. Well, we have a whole second half of this podcast where we're going to talk about the future. Alex, do you think going uh, sales into the wind with Brad Stevens was the right move? Or do you think a thorough search might have been warranted. Well, I do want to jump in and clarify something here, which is, I think, going to be of interest to our listeners, um, which is that while Brad Stevens is the president of basketball operations, we also have to take into account that Mike Zarin is effectively getting promoted to full-time GM. The way that I'm kind of reading this situation is that Brad has the bigger title, but Zarin and Brad both have about as much power as one another over player personnel and decision-making. And to that extent, you know, I think Ainge having had the run that he did with Zarin by his side for a lot of it, there was always this sense that Zarin was going to be the next man up whenever Danny did leave. And that's why Mike Zarin stayed in the organization, even though he's been offered uh, other GM positions in places like Philly and other places. And has been one of the more hotly recruited assistant GM candidates for a while. So the way that I'm reading this is that it's not going to be just on Brad, right? There's still a pretty strong infrastructure that Danny built up and left in place there. Uh, Zarin knows more about the cap, knows more about the draft. And I think Brad is going to be relying on him a lot to make some of these decisions. So I, I think ultimately I'm entering this new era of the Celtics ownership and uh, GM group I, I'm feeling pretty confident knowing that there is a good infrastructure in place and bringing a fresh voice in Brad Stevens in who really knows the game on a variety of different levels and in particular uh, knows some of the core players of this team really well and what will work for them. But, you know, to kind of get at the uncertainty, which there certainly is, and I I think it would be silly to ignore that, I think the reality is that uh, Michael is absolutely right here that 
Brad is ultimately going to have to make some hard choices. The Celtics, as currently constructed, are not a title contender, and there's not a lot of moves that they can make this offseason to get them there. So you get to this question of Brad is probably going to be pretty loyal to his guys. That makes a lot of sense to me. But the question is, what happens when loyalty to one guy comes at the expense of loyalty to another guy? So is keeping Kemba Walker on the team for this offseason ultimately going to damage the long-term prospects of building a contender around Tatum and Brown? If If the answer to that question is yes, then you have this question of, well, can Brad really afford to be loyal to Kemba and Brown and Tatum when being loyal to Kemba also means risking the future for Tatum and Brown? These are kind of the the questions and choices that he's going to have to answer. And I I do feel, you know, like with the staff in place, uh, with Zarin, with the rest of the front office, with the scouting department uh, all kind of in place, at least for the time being, Brad is going to be better equipped to make those decisions than if they had just gone with a totally clean slate approach, but it is going to be a test for him. And that's something that we're going to have to consider going into this off season. Yeah. Justin, to that end, Brad cut the line in a lot of ways. There were a lot of qualified candidates perhaps, or qualified candidates waiting in the wings that Brad leapfrogged over all of them. Um, So when you First heard the news. I mean, what does that signal to you about Stevens, about the organization and this decision? Because to Alex's point, and as Mike was identifying, Brad doesn't have the chops the way that a Presti does or a Mike Zarin does. Or a Masai Ujiri does, or who mm-hmm. knows who else could have been in a potential search. I do think they made a mistake by not conducting one. I Sure. It's probably, it's probably understandable given that by moving him up uh they can begin searching for a new head coach as soon as possible and kind of get the jump on on other organizations like for example portland is already in the mix and is a pretty attractive destination potentially depending what they do but there is going to be something of a black eye um and it's not going to be a major one i think but it is going to be something in the back of a lot of people's minds when there is a new era in the NBA where the league is pushing to have people of color interview for these positions and they didn't even bother to conduct a search. That is not a great thing for the organization um, from a PR standpoint, even if they were 99.9% sure of exactly what they were going to do anyway, for other reasons, whatever those reasons are. I do think that, Brad has a lot of institutional knowledge, uh, both from the Celtics and from his previous position as as the head coach of Butler, in terms of program building that are going to do well for him. But I am I am a little concerned that there is also, as much as he's probably not getting enough credit for potential, there's probably some disaster potential that maybe hasn't been looked at as closely as it should. Yeah, totally, Alex. Yeah, well, just to that end, Justin, you know, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think other media members have said this to this effect that there is a reality that Brad kind of did jump the line, especially in an era where the league is trying to reorient itself, at least from a branding standpoint, as a positive force for social and in particular racial justice, um, that that is that is a bad look, which leads me to believe that 
the Celtics front office going into this head coaching search search has enormous pressure on them to hire a coach of color. And if you take a look at the rumored candidates list of potential head coaches for the Celtics, that seems to be lining up. So that might give us some insight into Brad's first major decision as president of basketball operations, hiring a new head coach. And that could happen in a minute. That could happen in a few months. We really don't know. I suspect it'll happen before the draft. But again, the second half of this podcast is all about the future. Mike, you're here to talk about the past. So let's do exactly that. Uh, They did have a whole season of Celtics basketball that just went down. Um, Given everything we've identified, given the COVID, given the uh, injuries, given the ups and the downs and everything in between, Mike, how do you feel walking away from the season? How do you rate the 2020-2021 season? And give us some thoughts on some of the major events. Were they? Do we talk about them the right way? Did we miss something? What do you? What is your kind of stump speech on the season? To me, I think it was slightly underwhelming. I thought mm-hmm. I, I'll say this. So there's pros and cons to every season. The pros: Jalen Brown became an All Star. Uh, his development obviously is critical to this team's foundation going forward. Jason Tatum was Jason Tatum. This guy has a chance to be a scoring uh, champ in the league and an MVP candidate. Uh, one day. So you've gotten your foundation there. Uh, the concerns for me was Kemba Walker's health. Um, unfortunately, you know, because of his health troubles in Boston, he has not been able to be the all-star player that he was with Charlotte. And, and again, you know, when, when Kyrie left and they got Kemba, I think people felt around the league, hey, you know, is he Kyrie talent-wise? No, but he's not that far off. And it has been much more of a decline in that regard. Um, you know, I, I liked Daniel Tice. I always thought he brought intangibles to that team the way a Marcus Smart did just in the front court for them. And so, um, you know, basically to me, I, I think like, is that going to ultimately like move the needle for them? No. Like, like I said, they're, they kind of are where they are. They're in this like interesting transition middle ground. Um, but just looking back on the season, I thought, uh, they certainly, you know, Kemba not being healthy hurt them. And then Fournier, after they got Fournier, which I thought was like a good short-term upgrade for them at the time, uh, this guy got COVID, unfortunately, and that hurt him and his ability to play at the level that I think they all wanted, especially him going into free agency. So I just felt like it was such a roller coaster year for them. But overall, going into the year, like if you would have told me Boston was somewhere between the four and six range, I wouldn't have been shocked. I I just think uh, it's just so strikingly apparent that they are so far removed uh, from the title contention window at this point. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you look at ahead now, it's like, all right, your best, you know, I know we're talking about the past, but just my, my initial thoughts on the future is like Marcus Smart's your best trade asset right now. He's got a year left on his deal are you trying to get something for him now and really rebuild with the younger guys and Brown and, and Tatum? Because I'm not saying Marcus Smart's old and he's in his late twenties, still got a few more good prime years, but you're not at that championship level. And I think a team that's a contender, a real finals contender uh, should look at a guy like Marcus Smart. Yeah. I, I hope that somehow that ends up being Boston, but I suspect there's a world where that is not the case. Uh, Alex, your thoughts on the year that was? 
Yeah, weird, frustrating mess of a year with some bright spots, but some glaring problems, uh, as Mike pretty much described to a T there. Um, the one thing that I think is also worth mentioning for this team this year is that while uh, the injury concerns are still very real heading into the offseason, to see Robert Williams' explosive growth and development uh, this year on the court was definitely reassuring about what this Celtics team ultimately can be. But as with pretty much everything that happened this year, uh, Rob was incredible when he was on the court and he was off the court far too much, which is just kind of the story of the Celtics season. Most COVID absences uh, and game absences with injuries combined in the league, uh, very hard for them to get rhythm uh, after a shortened offseason in which they were one of the final four teams in the bubble and basically got two months for an offseason that I think a lot of those guys pretty sorely needed. In particular, you know, one of the kind of better stories of the end of the Celtics season, the uh, emergence of Aaron Neesmith as a quality role player. I mean, Neesmith, you know, shattered his leg at Vanderbilt his sophomore year, absolutely needed a full offseason to get uh, ready and up to NBA speed and instead got this aborted offseason and ended up basically having his offseason during the regular season. So to yeah. see him develop into something at the end of the year was certainly reassuring, even if at that point it was probably over for the Celtics as a title, uh, a pseudo contender, even though they probably were really not that at any point this year. Um, but, you know, the bones of something are definitely there. There's some good talent on this team. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are both elite players at their position. Robert Williams, if he can stay healthy, has the bones of, becoming a really excellent starting center. Neesmith, Pritchard, and to a degree, Romeo Langford all look like they could become some promising players if given the chance to properly develop. But there's a lot of question marks, particularly around some of the vets on this team. Kemba Walker, I mean, we've, we've said all that we really need to say about that, but that's, that's the biggest question for the Celtics heading into this offseason. What are they going to do with Evan Fournier, a player who was decent when he was on the court, but again, missed a lot of time. Are you going to really feel comfortable giving Evan Fournier what his likely market value is going to be? I don't know. So this season uh, certainly leaves me with more questions than answers, but at the very least, the bright spots are encouraging enough that heading into next season, you can plausibly chart out a path to contention in the next couple of years. Well said. Yeah. Uh, Justin, anything that you want to piggyback on or, or something yeah. else you want to add? I think it's important to differentiate who we are rating, grading, however you want to consider our assessment. For the players, I think they did about as well as they could with a pile of turds that they were basically given between what happened <laughs> and uh, what they were expected to deal with. In terms of the front office, there were lots of things that could have been done better. I won't belabor the point of how things tend to cascade when you are behind the eight ball. But I do think that there's also a lot of reason for optimism for the reasons that you guys have noted. And I think that just getting in some people who can move the ball, a little bit more competent help in the front court that is actually able to stay healthy and basically just removing this 
feeling of impending doom that kind of hung over this entire season. I think all those things combined are going to do a lot to really surprise people next season, even if we can't move Kemba, even if we don't re-sign Fournier, or if we do, depending on your perspective. I think that there's a lot of reason for optimism, and not just in the distant future. I think we could see you jump back to pseudo-contention, particularly if Brown and Tatum continue to take steps forward in the offseason as they have. Uh, I think... I think I agree. I mean, this season was so cursed and I don't think we have for a litany of reasons, haven't really identified it, but Fournier basically was the, the trade deadline crown jewel, right? He might as well have walked off the plane and broke his wrist. He just got COVID and he couldn't play. And if that had happened, I think the way that we would have talked about the Celtics bad luck would have been different. The team was so hamstrung by COVID and I, I just, I don't, sometimes in sports, you write off seasons because the, there's some stink hanging around, whether it's bad juju or what have you. And I just, man, this was a lost season as far as I can tell. Um, surely the roster construction had something to do with it. Maybe coaching had something to do with it, but having the most COVID by a country mile, probably you just say, thanks for playing and see you later. Anyways, Mike and Alex, uh, we're not going to have you around for the second half of our podcast when we look ahead. So I will get you guys out of here on this. Can I have one bold prediction for the next 12 months of Celtics basketball? It can be a prediction that goes down tomorrow or it can be a prediction that goes down next June. But Mike, I'm going to go to you first. One bold prediction for the future for the Celtics. Marcus Smart gets traded. All right. I think that's I, I think that's I, I don't know if some will consider that bold or not. But again, this is just my opinion. If you look at the roster construction and you're building around Tatum and Brown, they're younger. Smart's got the best value that you're going to get back right now. Um, he's got a year left. You're going to I mean, I'm sure they would you know consider having a, uh, extension talks with him and things along those lines. You know, you could talk about that uh, with Yossi Goslin, a salary cap guy. But <laughs> Um, I think that's, to me, that's my bold prediction. I, I, I can't, I would go with that over like saying Kemba Walker's getting traded for Porzingis or something. Cause I think it's more realistic that smart gets moved, but I also think a lot of people have always thought, well, they flirted with it, but they've never done it. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, a, it's like talking with a girl that's a tease a little bit, you know, <laughs> I, I think this is the year that. Uh, it happens. And, and for both sides, you know, Marcus Smart's a winning basketball player. Um, I think the intangibles that he brings are better suited for a title contender personally. All right. Alex, bold prediction, go. Uh, I'm going to cheat and have two. Um, the first is that I believe that Kemba Walker will be a member of the Dallas Mavericks heading into next offseason. And I believe that the players that the Celtics will be acquiring in that deal will not involve Kristaps Porzingis. So I'm going to start with that one. My other reckless and incredibly bold prediction that is almost certainly not going to come true, but I'm going to manifest it anyway, is that the Boston Celtics are going to hire the first not male head coach in the history of the NBA. Cool. I love that. And that's not even that bold. That's definitely in the cards. So uh, stick around any day now. We might have an emergency podcast where we, we celebrate Alex for his crowning victory of predicting the future. Uh, Mike Scotto, 
you write for hoopshype.com. Anything else that people should know about where to find you? Uh, check me out on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. And then, uh, yeah, we just got uh, going to do a podcast soon with uh, Yossi Goslin, our salary cap guru. And we're going to preview the Eastern Conference lottery teams. So what their offseason is going to look like ahead. We did one recently on the Warriors and the other teams in the West. Uh, threw a lot of nuggets out there and, and some intel. And we are planning on doing the same thing soon. So stay tuned for that. And as fate would have it, uh, Yossi's our guest after the break to look at the future of the Boston Celtics. So after a quick break, Justin, Yossi, and I will break down what is to come for the Celtics. Mike, thanks for stopping by. Alex, we'll catch you later. We'll see you on the other side of a break. All right. And for the second half of the Celtics Lab podcast today, we're bringing in Yossi Goslin of Hoops Hype to talk about the future of the Boston Celtics. Yossi, how are you? I'm doing all right, guys. How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, the listeners don't know this, but I get to see your dog <laughs> in the background of your Zoom, and I'm going to be distracted throughout. So this is a successful, successful podcast. Yossi, you are an expert of some renown for all things salary cap. So that's why we brought you in to kind of break down the nuts and bolts of the future for the Celtics. But first, we might as well get your opinion on what we just talked about in the first half of this podcast. What if, in 30 seconds-ish, what's your takeaway from this season of Celtics basketball? Uh, they definitely went below my expectations. I thought they were going to be in the conference fi- in the mix for the conference finals. Uh, just based on, I really thought Jalen Brown was gonna, I predicted that Jalen Brown was going to make this type of leap and it happened. And because of that, I thought they were going to, it's going to be enough to propel them back into the conference finals at least. And they somehow got worse. Um, so, um, so now, uh, yeah, now they're going to reorganize everything. I think the fact that they did just overhauled everything kind of starts kind of tells that I guess there were some issues going on internally. So uh, we'll see, hopefully they could grow from here on now. And this is the, hopefully this was the bottom for them. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Well, let's, let's talk about that, that big change that you just mentioned looking forward for this off season, this summer, before we get into kind of the brass tacks of salary cap considerations, uh, the Celtics front office is still a little up in the air and certainly the sideline. It's not clear. Uh, when you look at the changes that need to happen away from the, the actual play, uh, what are you looking for in terms of changes and what is the biggest uh, change or pivot you think needs to be made either from a culture standpoint, from a perspective standpoint? Like, What are you looking for when you think about the Celtics offseason off the court? So from the outside looking in, you, we really can't know for sure what was going on culturally. Uh, mm-hmm. what was going on in the front office. But just the fact that there have been changes already shows an acknowledgement that there were some issues going on. We just don't know. Exa- we can't pinpoint exactly what it was. Uh, but I always, I always f- love Danny Ainge. I think he's, he was the best general manager, uh, front office executive of the past 10 years, starting from what he did, getting everything he did for Garnett and Pierce up through his, up until the end of 2017, that was like a legendary run transactionally, just winning every transaction, maximizing everything. Like he, he was staying competitive while 
kind of doing what OKC is doing now, building up all these picks. It was like the anti-process. And I, I would always really impress me. And I, and then, you know, ever since then, he hasn't quite done the – it just kind of declined uh, and the, the quality of the transactions. And I kind of think that maybe he was just too good at his job that the rest of the league just realized, hey, you know what? We can't deal with this guy. He just – he gets the – he takes advantage of us so hard when we trade with him. Like, that, we, why do we keep doing this? I really feel like that's a big part of what happened. They were just so good that teams just finally realized you got to be careful when dealing with him. Mm-hmm. Um, like, even the Kyrie deal, even though he left and it – you know, it didn't work out for the Celtics. Like as a, just as, as a transaction, that was a good, that was like giving up nothing for Kyrie. Like uh, that was still a great trade. Yeah. So it, and then, so, you know, it just over the years, the Celtics lost more talent. Uh, they lost key guys, like aside from Irving and, and Horford and uh, Hayward, they also lost like Terry Rozier, Marcus Morris, um that they've really they had they were they had an embarrassment of riches and then it just now they're just kind of they have their two all-stars and they don't have any extra picks going forward they just have like a very neutral amount of assets going forward which kind of if you look at their situation three four years ago that's kind of disappointing that that this is the outcome they have and I know part of it is what they, they wanted to get Anthony Davis, but that was, you know, now we know that that was never really going to, they never even had a chance to try to turn those assets, assets into that. But it, I just, it does feel like, you know, I guess Ainge really hit his stride in 2017. Sure. And just kind of slowly got a little worse and worse each year. And this offseason, this past season, the trade deadline, everything just was definitely one of his uh i guess worst quality transactionally mm-hmm. and maybe he just realized you know like maybe he realized that maybe realized you know i maybe i'm not uh uh this isn't i'm not in my at the top of my game anymore maybe i need to change the scenery maybe he also realized hey you know now the celtics don't have any of these assets it's gonna get harder for me maybe i should just maybe it's best if I just not continue and maybe it go somewhere else. So that's where I, that's the way I see it. I could be totally wrong, but just a guy who is a victim of his own success, in my opinion, which is speaks to how great his job is that the fact that a lot of teams just don't might not want to deal with him going forward. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you look at some of the, the ways that Chris Daps Porzingis is talking about being a second fiddle right now, it's kind of the same problem. The young guys in the Celtics were too good, too quick, and a five-year plan fell apart. Uh, so certainly there are things that Ainge could have done differently, but I do think that you're right that in some ways his luck just – it was a little too much luck all at once uh, before it all ran out. Uh, which is to say that moving forward, saying that the Celtics have a neutral asset, uh, treasure trove is, is pretty spot on. I mean, it's – they don't owe any future firsts, I don't believe, which is good, but it's not like they're sitting on really any other inherited assets, a few second round picks, I think you're in there. Although, you know, so you can help us break that down in just a second. So uh, let's do this. Let's really get nitty gritty about all the things that are going to affect 
Boston's cap sheet moving forward. So can you first, Yossi, talk us through Jason Tatum's extension, kind of what that looks like and what the implications are? We're just waiting to see if he made All-NBA or not. I, It's going to be close, honestly. It, mm-hmm. it could go either way. My feeling is that he won't. He'll barely not make it, but he he can easily at the same time he's really he's very much in the running for third team he all and they made the provision where he doesn't doesn't matter which one he makes as long as he's third team he's going to get the uh, extra five percent either way uh as far as this season no matter what it's not going to make that much of a difference for the celtics uh offseason spending this year because even if he just if he doesn't get it he'll be at 28 mil they're right at the luxury tax with uh 13 with, with 12 guys on the roster that that's they're actually still over it i didn't even account for their first round pick right and then if he gets that extra five million uh then they're already going to be about like almost 10 million over the tax with their draft pick included so they're already at a tax crunch which is not good especially and and i don't think i doubt ownership is going to want to pay the tax unless they bring in another superstar just given how badly things went last year. It's really hard to justify being in a tax this year. Yeah, I've seen it reported both ways that in, in by some estimates, the Celtics are looking to spend and perhaps be a, a luxury tax team. I think there's a lot of reason to think that if they could skirt the tax, they would, which they did this season. Uh, Dr. Quinn, what do you think? What have you been hearing? If you had to make a guess, do you think that, Boston is looking to skirt the tax, or do you think ownership is willing to spend for this upcoming season? I think they're going to try to get under it if they can, uh, regardless of whether it will necessarily take a big hit, unless, as, as Yossi points out, they can find the guy. If they find someone who's kind of the guy, then they may try to move a little more aggressively, perhaps to get off of Kemba's uh, deal. That's going to be probably a pretty big priority anyways, barring some surprise, uh, shall we say, um, good signs from him uh, in camp and early in the season. I don't know if we're going to have a real clear-cut uh, idea of where this team is going to go by the start of the season. We might, but I think a lot of things need to fall into place either way for us to really know. Surely. And one of the biggest things is going to be what happens with Kemba's deal and if it's on the Celtics books or not. Uh, Yossi, if you uh, looked into your crystal ball, Knowing that Kemba has a, a big payday next season and then a player option for the season after, and knowing kind of the lay of the NBA landscape, what do you think the appetite is for a Kemba Walker trade? I can see teams being interested. Uh, I don't know. I just don't know the severity of his knee issues, if that's something that can be managed within the next few years, because it's been a two-year issue now. Um, but it, if there's a belief that that can be managed, then I think there will be interest, but the Celtics aren't really going to be getting anything. And I, I don't think that's such a bad thing because right now, given the Celtics financial situation, they, they're pretty stuck regardless. They can't really do much anyway. I don't see a pathway where they're getting a, a, a third star. I don't, I don't think smart, uh, all the young players and a bunch of future picks. I don't really think that's going to get you anyone. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, what that will get them, but I think they need to think 
a little more forward. If and I don't, cause I don't think they're gonna be able to get anyone that's really gonna change things, really uh, improve things drastically next year. I, I just given how where they are with the current roster, it's unlikely. So I think they need to think ahead a little more. And if I think they should try to just move Kemba, get some flexibility. You're not gonna get a player that's like a real impactful guy. He might not even be a starter, but just try to get some expiring contracts, try to save some money now, save some money off that. He's making 36 mil. Try to be, try to uh, turn that into maybe like 30 million or less coming back there. You, you uh, help with the tax situation and you could fill out the rest of the roster a little better. Um, You know, maybe you could get a, like a late first or something, uh, one type of deal that I've, you know, I've, I'll do my fair share of make, trying to scope fantasy trades and just to get an idea of something I thought of. And this was before the Clippers ended up win, winning the series. Now, I don't know how, depending how far the Clippers go, if this is something that makes sense for them. But I was thinking something along the lines of like Patrick Beverly and Luke Kennard for Kemba mm-hmm. Walker. And that's just, that's where I'm feeling Kemba's value is right now. And I, I think that's act, that's actually not even terrible, but Beverly's expiring. Kennard's a young guy who, you know, is whether he's worth what he's about to make, that's in debate. But just you you save some money now, you get a young guy, you maybe you get a pick also, and your Beverly's expiring. So in the future, so maybe next offseason, you have a better chance at making something doing a bigger move. So it's not it's not exciting at all, but if they do trade Kemba, I think that's realistically what they're hoping for. Just get flexibility and plan for the future. Cause I'm just not sure how like you're gonna they're gonna turn this around from like to you know, they want obviously they wanna be a championship contender. I just have a hard time seeing them pull it off just in this offseason. I think it's gonna take a little longer. Yeah, I mean, he's owed thir- almost $36 million flat next year, a little bit more, and then he has a player option for $36.7 million the following season, which not a lot of teams can fit into their cap space even if or onto their roster, uh, even if they really wanted to. Uh, Kemba is uh, represented by Jeff Schwartz, I believe, uh, who uh, represents a wide array of players in the NBA, which is to say that Kemba's agent knows a lot of people around the league that could be helpful but you say i think your assessment is pretty spot on uh i mean we can't really compartmentalize these things because all of these possibilities inform the other but let's move on to another kind of unknown for uh next season justin i'm gonna start with you what do you think from a on the court uh situation what do you think the appetite for bringing evan fournier back into the Celtics lost locker room is, and then Yossi, I'll kind of ask you to pick up the pieces from a financial perspective. So Dr. Quinn, uh, hot or cold on Evan Fournier? You know, he fits really well. And with a little bit more actual ball movers on the roster, I think he'll fit very well. Is he going to make a difference uh, in terms of contending for a title again next season? I don't think so. I tend to agree that while they may surprise a lot of people with how much better they get once their their roster makes more sense. I I don't expect uh, 
the Celtics be back in the thick of it, particularly regardless whether Fournier resigns or not. However, if they can get him for a reasonable deal, I think about $17 million or less per season, then they may have a useful trade ship. But another thing that needs to be taken into consideration is a particular player's uh, contract year that's coming up and mm-hmm. whether or not this, this player, Marcus Smart, is going to be part of the Celtics in the future uh, is going to pay a pretty big role in what they plan on doing with Fournier. So if Fournier comes comes back, there's a very good chance, possibly even if if uh, Kemba is out the door, that we, we don't have Smart on the team by the end of the season. So with Fournier, I agree with you with that salary range you gave. That's basically what he's making now. I think he's I think he's going to get that uh, more or less. Um, he's still he's still a starting quality shooting guard in this league. He might not be for the Celtics, just given how rich they are at the guard position and uh, and wing. But there's probably a handful of teams that could really use him, and there's a handful of teams with enough cap space to pay him that. Uh, so when the Celtics first acquired him, my first feeling was that just given the roster. He's going to come off the bench. He's going to be a six-man. But I felt that he's going to be a rental, especially since they only gave up like two second-round picks for him. It felt like, you know, uh, the Celtics were – they needed some help. They hadn't done anything. Definitely a lot of fan pressure to just do something. And, you know, for for the price, that's great. But if we're being realistic looking forward, just we see this roster already with – it's basically almost full and already over the tax. Bringing back Fournier – won't doesn't make too much sense unless they could make some other moves first. If they can, like I said, if they can get off Kemba, uh, save some money on his deal, or maybe get off Thompson as well. They need to just save some money first. If they could do that. Okay. Then bringing back Fournier can make some sense. I don't see him as, you know, I don't know if he's a closer for the Celtics, like on a really, I don't even know if, just because they have Jalen and Tatum also, I don't know if you would close with them in a close game, but so that's the other thing you got to keep in mind. If you're going to pay him like a starter, you might want to play him, play him the types of minutes like one. Um, and then as for Marcus smart, he does. So he's extension eligible. Last time you guys had me on, I did bring it up that he, he was able to sign an extension last off season. Uh, he can sign a it's 74 and a half mil over four years. And I was saying last offseason that there's no way he's going to sign that. He, after the way he was playing in the playoffs, in the bubble, making all defense, like that just seemed – I felt like he could get much more than that. After this season, you know, he, he didn't he, – he definitely took a step back. I don't think – I can't say if it's going to be like, you know, uh, if, if it, he could definitely get, improve, get back on track again. But now if he were to sign that extension where he's making like around 18 mil a year – that seems pretty fair value at this point. I could see him accepting that. I think the Celtics would probably offer that full amount at this point. Um, so you're right. Uh, that If we're looking at right now, you, you could obviously save some money to bring back Fournier and make it work for this season. But then next season, when, if you're going to bring back Marcus Smart, then you, it doesn't really make sense to have both. Yeah, it's... There's just not enough cash to go around, especially if you're going to pay Kemba Walker $37 million. I mean, that's that's really the game right there. I'm going to change the rules. While we're, you know, getting our, our hands dirty with all of this fun 
capology. Let's talk about Robert Williams III, who technically will be eligible for uh, a rookie extension deal this summer. Uh, then if nothing happens there, he would be paid his, his salary of $3.6 million, and then he'd have a qualifying offer the summer after that. So the Celtics don't need to make a move here, but uh, Yossi, I'll start with you. Do you think there's any reason or chance that Boston looks to extend uh, Robert Williams this summer? I think they're definitely going to have a discussion. Um, like, like Again, there's a lot of different things the Celtics need to figure out as far as future financials uh, and how to fit everybody. But I think that's a good problem to have later down the line. If you can get Robert Williams back on a deal that you view as uh, team-friendly and that he should hit value, maybe he'll outperform it going forward, then you go for it. Um, yeah, I haven't really thought of – I haven't put too much thought into it, but – I guess just the issue with him is just durability. Every time it seems like he's finally hit a, finally started going and something happens this year, it's his foot or his toe, always something nagging going on there. So I think that, you know, if you could get him at something that you like, then yeah, give it to him and, you know, figure every, figure out all the other financials down the road. Something I've, I've one figure I thought about, like, I guess on the higher end, See if he might want to do like 40 mil over four. I think that's kind. I think at, at this, if you're the Celtics, you're, you're definitely not going to, you don't have to uh, worry about him getting a ridiculous offer at this point. And if you're Robert, you know, maybe uh, with all your injuries, yeah, that's a pretty good amount of money given how, you know, he's only really started playing this year. He, had, he hadn't really been in the rotation the first two years. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I could see an extension happening, um, or maybe he thinks he could do much better and uh, rides it out to free agency. I tend to think that he would probably turn that offer down, but I think it's close. I think something in the neighborhood of like 12, 13, 14 would get it done because that's a lot of money. That's life-changing. That'll set you and your, your kids and possibly your grandkids up for the rest of their lives. But you also have to balance that, as you as you noted, against the, the hip issues. There's been lots of speculation about whether, you know, these injuries are related because they're all lower body and, you know, favoring one thing can cause another problem. I don't, I don't necessarily think it would be a bad idea for him to try a season without that deal in place, but he could find himself in the same kind of a situation, for example, Nerlens Noel did. Not as big yeah, of a deal, good. but... Well, another thing that I think we should monitor how uh, Rashawn Holmes and Jared Allen's free agency. I think these two are, in my opinion, the two probably the guy the two centers that will probably earn the most in this free agency, and that could be a real good uh, seeing what these guys get can really be a good uh, could help dictate the market for uh, for Robert Williams if. You know, I'm sure, like, like if they, depending what they get, the more they get, he's not going to get what they're making. But if he could get it, like, I'm sure he'll, the more he, they get, the more his number will increase. So that'll be something to monitor. Yeah. And it'll be interesting too, uh, insofar as Danny Ainge never really had an appetite for paying for centers. And in a new regime, perhaps that paradigm has shifted, or perhaps that will carry over. And, the Celtics thankfully don't have to make a decision necessarily this summer, but 
like everything else, they're sort of on the clock uh, insofar as they could offer him a rookie extension. So those dialogues probably have begun. Uh, anything else on the margins of the, the roster? Uh, Cornette and Ojale have contracts ending. Uh, Jabari Parker, I guess, is still in the fold. I mean, there's a few things around the margin. You know, see anything that would be financially surprising? Uh, as far as all those free agents, I don't really see why they need to bring back any of those guys, uh, unless it's like a minimum deal. They just need like a 15th guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just really don't know what it's, it's a really tough situation. Like if I was, you know, uh, I'm not, it's, I hope Brad Stevens like ha- already has like a plan on what he's going to do. Cause like, if I had, Definitely not one of the situations I want to just be thrust in. The good thing is that you do have a foundation in Tatum and Brown, uh, but you, unless you're going to, I, I think it's just going to be kind of painful in the beginning. I really think they're going to have to sacrifice them now a bit, try to save, uh, try to like get off a lot of salary, gain flexibility. I, I stressed that earlier, why, what they should look for in a Kemba trade. They're just stuck right now. They're not going to be able to get like a really a major guy. Uh, they can they can luck out on the margins, you know, get someone really good for the mid level, sign maybe one of the veterans on the minimum, turn out really good. Maybe they hit under draft pick, but again, that just a lot needs to go their way to turn this around that drastically. So I would just if I'm Brad, uh, start trying to gain some flexibility, try to save some money now and hopefully next summer or maybe the one after you're in a position to get a real game-changing player <clears throat> do you think there's any chance that they make use of the 11 million dollar traded player exception remaining from the gordon hayward traded player exception or is that something that's just gonna tease us for a while and go away uh, at this point most likely it'll expire unless they can get off, uh, they can save some money. Like if they're, they could get off Tristan completely. Again, I said it's a bunch, but if they could save some money on trading Kemba, if then, uh, then it makes sense. Uh, at the same time, I'm, so we're, I'm not totally sure when, I guess it's going to expire sometime in early August. So Celtics might not even have a chance to use it. Uh, I, I saw like 10, it might be like literally the first day of free agency. And they, they might change it. Uh, I don't know, but I don't. We'll, we'll find out soon exactly what the expiration date is. But they might have very little time to use it, in which case makes it even less likely that they use it. Yeah, that's a Justin. That's a good point. Um, I I was a big advocate that the Fournier deal was a slick one because it was a quality player and a future asset. But with COVID and a bit of bad luck and bad timing, it might be the exact opposite of all of that. Uh, so on that happy bombshell, let's do this. Uh, Yossi, let's let's pick your brain. Uh, what is an ideal offseason for the Celtics to look like? If all uh, the cards fall in favor of Boston, what do you anticipate happening between now and whenever the next season tips? You want like the pipe dream that's probably not going to happen or – Yep, you want, absolutely I do. We want the boring, <laughs> realistic thing. No, no, no. We already did the realistic stuff. Let's get wild. We're going to get wild. Hopefully you can turn 
smart and all the young guys, all the picks into a star like Lillard or Beal, but I don't, unfortunately, I don't, there's, I could, there's, there's a handful of teams that are going to have better offers, unfortunately, but you know, maybe if not Lillard, if you really, if the Celtics really want to get aggressive like that, maybe I'm, I'm trying to think of someone not as good as them, but can still be really good helping them. Um, just don't know who's available, but maybe, you know, maybe you could, I, I've heard plenty of uh, Celtics podcasting, you know, we might have to trademark it smart to, to get someone to really get someone. So, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know exactly what his value is. I don't know who, who you can get combined with the young players and all the picks to get, but um, you know, maybe if they, if they want to do that and get someone that, that's much better. Yeah, I'm sure they could pull. I just don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't. I mean, that's why the realistic answer is unfortunately probably easier to manifest. Dr. Quinn, like pie in the maybe, sky. Maybe you could get someone on the Pacers like Brogdon or Sabonis. I don't know. Like, I, they're not stars, but great starters. That's interesting. Yeah. Dr. Quinn, what do you think? Pie in the sky. Uh, pie in the sky, we find a way to maybe send Kemba to, I am so sorry, Kemba, Minnesota uh, mm-hmm. for a, a competent point guard. Um, or maybe we pick one up uh, by using that trade exception to pick up a Thomas Sadoransky or just some some way to get another ball mover onto the roster uh, while saving money. You know, sending Kemba to Oklahoma City for a rehab, they seem to be pretty good at that. Uh, maybe we could send him to the Houston Rockets, who, while they probably aren't going to be good next year for his last year, he might be back in the playoffs. They've got a pretty good young roster going there and some some potential tools if they keep the draft pick to get better kind of quickly. So I won't feel so bad as a UConn fan for sending him there. <laughs> but Basically, in a nutshell, um, a ball mover, um, a more healthy and flexible big man who doesn't cost too much money, and a season that isn't plagued by one of the worst pandemics we've seen in a century. Uh, I, I think that my goals are, are pretty modest and pretty attainable, and I think that they're going to be you know, pretty productive if they do happen. Yeah, I mean, just, just not having COVID is going to be a big win. Yeah, see what were you gonna say? If you can, if you could get him to OKC without giving up too much, I think that's that's you do that. They're gonna have like well, like fifty mil mil or so in cap space. And there's gonna be a lot of teams trying to uh, you know uh, to, to dump uh, contracts, bad contracts onto OKC. So mm-hmm. you'll have to, you know, have to be proactive with that, but. If you could completely dump Kemba, oh my God, that'll open up so much stuff for you. I'm hoping the Pistons or the Kings do something dumb, and I'm hoping that maybe Buddy Heald is part of that that dumb decision making. But that is for a future podcast, I suppose. What um, do you guys? How do you guys feel about that? Uh, the Porzingis Kemba framework that everyone's come up with. No. Uh, thank you for asking. <laughs> I like, no. <laughs> I feel like both. I feel like both sides say, say no to that. I just. We just watched Porzingis can't play. Uh, he doesn't want to even play second fiddle, and he can't do that in the playoffs. Why would you want him to come play third no. fiddle or fourth fiddle and pay a crazy amount of money for that? So, uh, 
independent of all the off the court stuff, the on the court stuff does not interest me at all. Yeah, just a move, just one of those moves that like you just kind of do when you're bored. Uh, it doesn't help at all. You might well, save you save, you save a little bit of money in the short term, but he's got an extra year, and that's right. the, that's the issue. I could see. I mean. If I was Kemba Walker, I don't know what I would do, but I could see a world where he uh, turns down the player option for a longer contract or something like that. I guess that is not unreasonable, but that uh, two years of Kemba versus, what is it, three years of Porzingis is not... I mean, that's why John Wall, I mean, that money also feels horrible. But the Celtics are in that position where this is... It's a short albatross, but it's something of a a pariah in terms of contracts and how the Celtics are going to get out from under that. I'm not sure. Although, Hey, Brad Stevens loves point guards running his offense. Maybe he, he dreams big Kemba Walker dreams. I, I don't know. I, I think just because there's a brand new guy at the top, it's just, we just got to see what the first few moves are. Cause we don't, I really don't know. Like, will Brad be, as patient as Danny, or is he going to be a little more aggressive? Most likely, it's, it's very hard to be as patient as Danny. I doubt he will be as that, but maybe uh, he'll be patient enough to think about the long term if he feels that's the the best way forward. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, to say the least, we got a long off season ahead of us. I'm sure, as crazy things happen, we'll have to bring you back on to talk us through the cap stuff, Yossi. Yossi Goslin, you are uh, a writer and capologist extraordinaire. Is that correct for Hoop Talk? I think you're understating it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh, on behalf of Justin and Alex. And like I said, there's a long off-season ahead, so I'm sure we will be picking your brain soon enough. Uh, So thanks again for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on.